Hello, I'm Bonnie Snowden, ex-corporate person and mother turned successful artist entrepreneur. It wasn't that long ago though that I lacked the confidence, vision and support network to focus on growing my dream business. Fast forward past many life curveballs, waves of self-doubt and so many lessons learned and you'll see Ignite, my thriving online coloured pencil artist community. A community that changes members' lives for the better and gives me freedom to live abundantly whilst doing what I love and spending quality time with my beloved family and dogs. All whilst creating my best artwork with coloured pencils and mentoring others to do the same. But this life wasn't always how it was for me. It used to only exist in my imagination. I've created the It's a Bonnie Old Life podcast to help increase people's confidence, share mine and my community's experience and hope through fascinating personal stories, champion the other amazing humans in my personal, professional and membership community and create another channel through which I can support others to realise their dreams. If you're a passionate coloured pencil artist or an aspiring one who's looking to create their best work and a joyful life you love, you're in the right place. Grab a cuppa and a custard cream. Let's get cracking. This week, my guest is someone I've known for years, but haven't chatted to actually for uh, quite a long time since I gave up my horses. He's such a lovely man, uh, surrounded by his fabulous dogs and horses and that wonderful accent. And of course, a huge asset in the north with his ability to predict snow. I'm delighted to introduce Stephen Lee, barefoot trimmer. His website says he likes cake and tea with no sugar. And that will absolutely do for me. Oh, it's so nice to see Steve. It must be it's years since we've chatted. Yeah, it's got it's got to be. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's the te- eight years, something like that, maybe. Yeah. yeah. You need to get yourself another horse. Oh God, I'll have to get a cart horse. I think I'm far too fat for a <laughs> for a normal for a normal one. <laughs> I, I can lug me around the hills. You'll be fine. Oh gosh, yeah. Well, oh, so you tell me where your your I, obviously, I know where you're from, but tell me where you're from and just describe, I guess, who you are and what you do. Right. So I uh, live in Northumberland now. I've been here about probably coming up 20 years now where we are. Middle of nowhere. So I absolutely love it. Just us, the horses and sort of three or four of the houses. The horse, the ho- basically it's horses, it's rehabilitation, it's lameness rehabilitation, helping the horse heal itself, really giving it the opportunity rather it's doing as little as possible to but but helping it along the way is kind of the way I look at it yeah I've been doing that solely for the last five years when I did it half and half with an office job for the previous maybe 10 15 but I I couldn't stand being inside anymore and I thoroughly enjoyed being out and doing what I did with the horses I just didn't get I wasn't getting anything out feeling like I was just making money for people rather than helping people there's nothing like getting a text to say I've got my horse back you know that's that's still as special today as it was 15, 20 years ago. So I do that sort of two and a half, two and a half days a week, what, what I call locally sort of working a day. And I go down, I, I work Ascot, Windsor, Henley every quarter as well. And then I do other days sort of down Yorkshire way, your way once, once every eight weeks and up to Edinburgh once every eight weeks. I'm kind of resource restrained because it's just me now. So I do take the odd new one on, but I've kind of got a root and really lovely clients and it's really lucky, to be honest. And I, I do take newish new ones on every now and again, but only if I think I can really make a difference to what somebody else could do. But yeah, it's a, it's just nice. It's not work. I mean, yes, you know you're going to work when you get up and you're not doing what you want, 
you, you want to do at home and stuff but it's not work when I'm out I thoroughly enjoy it yeah and that's that's what's amazing isn't it because I feel like that as well I mean you know I work we work long hours yes, I imagine yeah. you work incredibly with the driving yeah. and all of that kind of stuff but it's just it's not like a job is it no and sometimes it takes a bit of getting used to that actually you can stop feeling guilty for that it's it's actually just that's what you've aimed for and that's what you've I mean, it's, it's yeah it's, you sort of think could I do this and you, you think of a million reasons why you can't and actually it was just somebody said to me one day well what happens if it really works and I was like well, what do you mean what do you keep saying oh if you didn't do this or if you broke your arm you couldn't work and all that sort of stuff but what happened at work you could you know work your own hours to a point and ride your horses when you want you do something you love and I thought yeah I'm, I'm gonna you're right so I gradually built it I was just doing weekends to start with, like anybody does. And then the more people you help, the more people they tell, the more people they tell, and just sort of snowballs. So I then cut my office job down to three days a week. And then I was kind of, but my, my heart was completely into the horse stuff. So then it was time just to make make the jump and not live for the pension and just go for it. <laughs> what were you doing before? Sort of business development coordination role, like client events and bid documents for a really big consultant engineers, engineer and management consultants. It was there nearly 20 years. Oh, God. So I guess that was probably, uh, it's probably fitted in the skills and everything that you learned from that into building your own client base and everything. Yeah, the, the, the business side of thing, everything's, I'm probably for a small business, I'm probably a little bit more. I run it like a big business because that's how I've been. And I'm talking about like, I know where the cash flow, you know, I kind of don't ignore anything where I think if I was doing it without that experience, you would just go out and do the work and then try and do it once. You know, I'm, I tend to run it like, a, I'm probably better at doing it now than I was when I was getting paid to do it before. I think it's a great way to do it. So right. looking, looking after you, but like, so with me previously, I was really good when I first started out my business back in 2017 and I do my book work every month. Mm-hmm. And then I got completely bored of it and it just went by the side. I'm no, I'm, I hate that kind of stuff. I'm, I, it just, just, I don't know. It just doesn't do anything for me. I ended up not doing anything and then having to do it all in one day for the whole year. And then it was just like, oh, I'm putting my hair out. I'm like, oh, my, it was awful. And even with the with the academy, which I launched last September, I didn't have anything set up. I didn't have a forecast. I didn't have budgeting. I didn't have anything like that. And it, the problem was it grew so quickly. Yeah. But I kind of was like, oh, I think I need to have some help here. And I've, I've actually brought on a finance consultant to help me, which has made a massive difference because you've got to know your figures, don't you? Yeah, yeah, it allows me to do what I want to do. And the being part-time thing, so I tend to do, we're doing two and a half days locally. That gives me half a day to take phone. What I used to do is I try, people people phone and you want to help them because, you know, you especially if, if, if a client phones and I know they're out of sync, they've obviously possibly got a problem. So, I, you know, I'll take that straight away. If it's someone ringing for advice or something like that, I try and do that. I've got sort of afternoons a week. I do that because, you know, you, you can, you know, if you stop by the side of the road for half an hour, then you're half an hour late for a client. Then if you do that twice, you're an hour late by the end of the day. So just by keeping myself restrained a little bit, I've managed to, and that takes a lot of the the stress in the job. It, it, when, when you're there, what you know what to do, but it's all the build up to it. So you, to have the time and think and thinking time is quite important. So that's what I've, I've, I've kind of been quite strict with that and not, because the amount of people that ring, you, you could be out all day, every day, 
But then if somebody has a problem, how do you get there if they're out of sync? So I, I keep those days back. Yeah. Have you always had an interest in horses? Is, is horses been sort of like a, a passion or how did you actually get into the, the foot rehab side of things? Horses started when I was eight, 18, 19, I think it was. Yeah, I was 19. I used to play golf fairly, well, virtually every day. And I had a really bad game. I was getting worse. For some, when you get into a habit, you hit a bad habit, you start hitting bad, you start to get your head down and it kind of snowballs a bit. And I I remember coming out, my sister used to go riding lunches on holiday and my cousin had horses. And we used to, when we were kids, we used to get to go and pat them. And I used to really enjoy just being around them. And then I was putting the golf clubs in the car for a really bad game of golf and two girls went past on horse. I thought, I'm going to try that. <laughs> so I found somewhere in the paper, I rang up and got a lesson. And then kind of after two lessons, absolutely hooked. And then to buy my own horse uh, when I was about 21, 22. And it's just been, it was that horse that she had a slight rotation of a joint. So she had to have, basically she, she kept going on and off, intermittently lame, fetlock issues, arthritic issues and things. And I, uh, when I moved up, when I met my wife, I moved up here, became really good friends with her, Farrier, and he was really interested in the barefoot side of things. He says, you know, I think actually, you're not fixing this with a shoe, we should try it like this. And then it's like, well, why? And it was quite, I still remember that big leap, you know, all those years ago thinking, well, that makes sense. So I did some research and then it's the, the more you, the more you know, the more you realise you don't know. And I got really addicted into, we had really sessions of, we had study nights here, there's low, you know, a few or five different people getting, you know, bringing, coming around study books and talking about stuff and just really got into it. Worked out, he taught me to work with her I got her going and then you go and help somebody else. And then it just, you think you just become, it, it becomes almost what you are. It's quite odd. But yeah, I wouldn't change it for the world. It's opened so many opportunities to different people. And it's, you know, I've been really lucky to get involved with some of the research stuff I've been, you know, been helping with. And the more you, this again, then you find out a bit about that and you think, well, there's so much more. There's just this whole world down this road. So you go down a little bit. And then sometimes like somebody asks you something else, so I'll jump across the street and go go down another. Yeah, it's, there's always something to keep you interested. It's not doing the same thing. It's never the same. And every horse you go to, you can be doing 10, 15 horses a day. Every single horse you go to is different and presents something. Like what you do with one horse is the actual opposite, is actually the worst thing you could do with the next horse. And it's sort of gradually picking up and learning that. And um, I get a... I'm quite big on teaching owners to maintain the horses in between because they see the horses every day and they should, I want them to feel a change before you have to deal with it because the, the foot changes fairly quickly to cope with how it balances, how the horse loads. You know, think of it like a bit of a balloon. If, if, if you stood on the outside of a balloon, you know, it, the, the air shoves everything out to the outside and the horse is that without a shoe on, the heels can move up and down and, and the foot changes quite radically. So if you've got someone, the more you give the owner, the empower the owner to, kind of do little bits and pieces in between that's great because then you're a team you can say oh well that's that's moved a bit but I just did this little bit and that came back or I don't want to touch this because it's changing and it's uh yeah I, I, I think I would struggle to teach properly I can teach people what to look at for their own horse but I think I would struggle how to teach someone to know what to do with a horse that I hadn't seen I'm not sure how my uh, OCD would cope with that but <laughs> And are you finding that, because when I had my, well, I had one, I had two horses when I knew you and one was an ex-racer and then we had Elf who had, I think it was turned out 
Yeah. And, uh, he had a, he's, I think, I can't remember which leg it was, but it turned out, yeah. And, we, <laughs> and we, we, I mean, he did have shoes for a period of time, but actually when he did go lame, and that's when I started using you for the, the barefoot side of stuff. And, and he was pretty, well, he was sound after we had him barefoot. And are you finding that you get, because it, I mean, that was eight years ago and, and it's still quite a long time. And there weren't that many, well, there were a few people who were sort of like, yes, barefoot's the way to go. And things were coming out and everything. Are you finding that it's getting more and more people are coming to the realisation that actually a horse's foot, a hoof, is the most incredible structure and actually left to its own devices. Because you look at the Mustang, uh, the wild horse feet, and they're completely different. But right. when, I, yeah, when I first started, so you're going back 2005-ish, 6 or something like that it was, it was odd. You, you, you know, it was a bit odd that you didn't have shoes on your horse. Now it's not. It's just some horse. You get the usual livery yard personalities it's like the cognitive dissonance. If, if you know, I if someone tells me, "Oh, my horse has to be shod," the answer is that's okay. I, you know, it's but some people get really evangelical about it. I think that's when you have a have an issue. You know, people have the horses to do what they want to do, and you can't kind of. And I never try. If people come to me for advice, that's great, but you never sort of push it on to anybody because shoes are a convenience. So by the nature, it's inconvenient to have them. But there's an equal and opposite reaction to everything you do. So, you know, you, as soon as you put a shoe on, you remove the, it's not got a thin sole, you lift the foot off the ground, but you're not fixing why that sole's thin. The same word, going back to health. So he's not straight on the leg, but putting a shoe on the, the, the foot was straight. So if the leg's not straight, but you want the foot to land properly, then the foot can't be straight. If the leg's not straight, it has to follow the same plane as the joints. And the other thing to think about is the, the only part of the horse that touches the ground, that is the bottom of the foot. So anything you put on the bottom, you're compromising something. You have to be compromising it. And yes, it you know if if your horse can't be ridden without shoes and you, you can't find a way through the diet or the work or the thing, then yes, put shoes on and work it because it's better to be worked than stood in the field getting fat. But you need to understand why you're shoeing your horse. That's the you know if it's just back to back every six weeks because that's what you've done. You, you, you don't see the early warning signs of stuff. You know, you can see a horse goes a bit footy when the spring grass comes in, then you know to cut the grass down. If you've got a shoe on, that's a little bit later when you see that, and there's a bit more systemic issues happen before you realise. But it's not an easy... Some horses are absolutely fine. You pull the, sho- you pull the shoes off, or they can, people get the horses, and you trim them, and they, go, they never have a problem, they never think about much. Some horses have got issues, where you're talking about diet issues, metabolic issues, and they show, but it's a magnifying glass, so you have to work a bit harder to tease through you know, you change one thing at a time until you find out what that one thing is that helps the horse. And then it snowballs like a roller coaster. Once you get, once the horse is a bit more comfortable, it gets a lot more comfortable a lot more quickly. That's quite a buzz when you suddenly find out the horse is going, you get it, you see on Facebook, oh, they're suddenly across country, you know, like they're doing it again, sort of thing. When you've gone to help, oh, my horse is, my horse is laying, I've been told I can just walk down the road now. I've got, you know, once or twice a week light work or something. And then you'll see something later on, they go, oh, it felt fine. So just, what we're doing you know they're back out doing what they want to do and that's that's a real buzz that's yeah kind of and it never that never changes you know no matter how many I guess it's probably similar to you when you do a picture and you give that picture to the owner and you see that look of absolute amazement on the face that you've actually caught the personality I don't know how you do when you look at your photographs you can almost you feel as though you know the animal you painted and 
that when someone sees that, you know, when you give them that picture, that how how is somebody who has looked at my horse's photograph actually got my horse's personality in a picture? He did that with ours, you know, the one we did you did for us for Sharma all those years ago. Yes. That's her eye. Every time I, we've got that at the bottom of the stairs, and every time you come in the house, you see that because she's the matriarch of our, you know, the ones we bred, and you can just see that sort of devilish personality. So it's the same. <laughs> for you when people turn around and you, know, you, you they give you a photograph they want you know there's obviously a real if someone wants a picture of some or a painting you know a drawing done of one of their animals it's it's because they love them and that's the memory they want and then to give them what you have to give them the picture you seem to be giving them the memory of that personality that's got to be a similar feeling i think yeah definitely def- i mean and like you say it never gets old you know you you can have however many thousands of followers or whatever and people saying lovely things and it never ever gets boring that somebody says something lovely lovely about it you know it, it just kind of lights you up every time doesn't it yeah it's and I, I say I people don't see you know they, they see you do you know I go and do talks and things like that or they, they see you when you go and do but they don't see the what people do and you know you if, you, if there's a horse having a problem it's on your mind you know, you, you, you kind of, you know, those ones wake you up at night and you're thinking, what am I missing? And that's when you, you know, through this, you know, I've done this so long now, you've got the, the network of physios or vets or friends, you know, you've got this whole myriad of people that you can, and they do it to me, you know, if they're having a problem with a the horse, they'll, you know, message me, I've, I'm seeing this horse, what do you think? And that sort of network that you build is so important to keep the job. Otherwise, you know, you can get, it's quite an isolating job when you work on you're in the car on your own. Yes, you see people but you're in the car on your own and each horse you do, you're responsible for. Where if you've got that little bit of support around you where you can just, but even in the car, you know, I've just seen this horse, such and such, I've told them to give you a ring because I want this physio to see it. I want this, or I want the vet, you know, you know, I've suggested you have a, you know, a chat with them about this, other people who do diet and things like that, just because you kind of learn a lot when you're doing it, but you never know as much as someone who specialises in it. So having that network around has, has been really important to me as well yeah and you travel you were saying you go down to Windsor you come up to Yorkshire obviously you're in Northumberland there's yeah. Edinburgh I mean that's it's quite a long they're quite long journeys do you stay over or do you try yeah. and get back the same day or sort of Windsor I'm down five I'm down there five days so that's sort of for four nights away the the other ones I tend not to I tend I tend to do or just leave really early and get home late because I like being at home. I'm a bit of a home bird. I don't go away much. Yeah. <laughs> what do you listen to in the car? Or is it just your thinking time? Pretty much, yeah. It's thinking time. Spotify, I, I let Spotify dictate a playlist sometimes. <laughs> that, or there's some, you know, some podcasts, the Humble Hoof podcast, I listen to some of those on the longer journeys. Yes, yeah, it's, it's that, that um, sort of music, really. Yeah. Just, uh, or it, it's, it's quite a good time for catching up on the hands-free for you know chatting stuff through with people it's quite a good time to when you're on the motorway you can have a you, know, you can chat stuff through and it keeps you concentrating and yeah it's but it is a long time to mull stuff over as well so I think that's the that's a yeah. bit I think yeah do you find that that can can sort of make things kind of bring things to the fore you know if you because when you spend time on your own and you've got that space to be able to think sometimes it's not the best thing is it no, 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 it's not, and it, it it can you can you can over you you overthink everything, <laughs> but um, yeah, no, it's it's 
put it. It's, it. it's good thinking time if you've got a horse that you need to sort of bounce stuff through in your head because you, it, all of a sudden something can just come to you or you, you, you know it's niggling you. Then you just suddenly think, oh, hang on a minute. Maybe it's got thin soles because of this. And you think, then you ring up, was it worm? Did it have a flu jab? You know, that sort of just something might just penny might drop. And that sort of quiet time when you're driving sort of helps for that rather than because when I'm at home, walking the dogs, I'm riding the horses, all the stuff to do at home. So, and when can, can things like that affect a, a horse then? You know, when you have like the worm and chemicals and stuff, does that affect things? Some horses go footy within two weeks, within two weeks of a worm, or some horses go footy within a week or two weeks of a of a flu jab or something like that. It's just some of them are so. Are up, they're on a bit of a tightrope. That's why you've kind of got involved. That's probably why they've been lame in the past and you've got involved. You've we've got it's like a straw that breaks the camel's back, kind of thing. You, you get this lame horse and you're trying to find everything. You, you know, you change the you change the diet, give them a, a, better, a bit of a mineral balance. You're trying to so you're basically trying to help the horse produce the best foot it can produce. And then that's probably that might be just enough to, to keep it sound. And as long as it stays sound, that might that's okay. You never know how close you are to to getting it when you're sort of work, working towards it. But yeah, so, so a worm or anything, it's, it's good disturbance. Anything you put in can disturb the gut, which then just disturbs how the how things grow or horses with really thin soles. Sometimes you can move the sole after a horse has been wormed two weeks later. Some of the horses you work with, metabolic horses, you can almost flex the sole with your thumb. So the way around that is the whole, you know, they, 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 they feel a gut balancer. Like a, there's a Protexins, a brand that I tend to recommend, which is basically prebiotic or probiotic, which you, you, you load and dose a week before you're going to worm and a week after, or the same as a vaccine. And that kind can kind of just buffer the buffer the issue. But it's learning what your horse's triggers are. So for new client rings, it's a bit of an interrogation, going off a tangent. Says, oh, well, what about this? Does this happen? What two weeks ago? Exactly what happened? And the more you pick it away, it's stuff people don't think about because it's everyday normal things that you do or just you know the biggest one or it was out a bit longer or change fields or well anything that disturbs the gut can have an impact on the feet that's amazing isn't it i guess the same with humans as well yeah yeah i, I can't really talk the amount of sugar i tend to put away but <laughs> <laughs> I, so I feel a bit hypocritical sometimes telling people to get their horse off the grass it's, it's, it's too many sugars and they stood there with a lump of cake in my hand but that's <laughs> oh dear and you've got um so talk to me about you've got your you've got your horses but you've also got your two uh, your three gorgeous goldies golden retrievers yeah so we've got uh kiva who's 11 now we bred her and then we've got uh eska who's five and aura who's four or four and three i can't remember <laughs> something like that um yeah, so those two are sisters a year apart, the two younger ones, and they're, they're related to, um, I don't know if it's their great aunt or something, was, was it a great aunt would be our other dog, yeah, something like that. It's quite a, they're related somehow, yeah, but they're just a absolute mayhem of delight. That's the best way of putting it. You can't, you cannot not be happy when you're around them because they won't allow it, simply won't allow it. They just sit there, they sit and look up at you, smile, and the, the, the whole dog wags, it's not just a tail, and then you have got no choice just to be happy and go for a walk amazing and they're all really really well well trained and behaved yeah we did i mean the first one we i used to have lessons I used to go to a guy up in sort of down past hexham where he was brilliant he just it's one of these guys basically only went it was with kiva's mother we went 
um, because she was kept pulling. I had dogs all my life and being a, a kid, but this was probably the first dog I'd bought as an adult for myself. And she would always pull on the lead and things like that. And I, someone, Emma knew someone had mentioned him through work, so we went there. And do that and describe it was like, I don't know what he said to her. But he put the, he put this lead on, walked, she pulled two seconds, and he walked. And within four minutes walking down the road, this dog was walking next to him. Absolutely loved him a bit. And it was just like, he, he hardly said a word. But what he did say was, you know, the dog listened to. And then we took the other one for puppy training when we got a younger one. And then sort of the second one we did because you know what you're doing. And the other two are so well behaved. They kind of learn from the other one. It makes the last one easier to train. But yeah, basically we're living where we are on the farm. We're looking if we can go out with obviously the sheep and things. So they have to be taught not to even look at sheep or because you want to relax. You don't want to be thinking, you know, what's going to happen. And we're really lucky that they just if they see a sheep, they turn away. You know, that's what they're trained for. So they don't even, they don't exist to them. But I think that's good. Obviously, that's in the breed as well. That's not just good, you know, as a retriever, they're very easy to train that way. You know, you can have another sort of, I guess, a lurcher type dog who are trained to go on a set and run, you know, run after stuff that's moving. Then that's a whole different ball game. I wouldn't know how to train that. But. Yeah. I remember seeing a video on your Facebook where there was a, you were out walking and there was a lamb that was coming up to them. Oh, uh, <laughs> They were just still sitting there like, uh, there's a lab. <laughs> yeah, that was funny because one of the youngest one kept turning her bum around and turning her back to it. So basically she decided, to do, as long as she didn't look at it, it wasn't there. But yeah, I mean, that just makes walking so much more relaxing that, you know, it's not a, it's, it's not a worry. Um, but yeah, they, they are just an absolute delight and I miss them. I do FaceTime them when, when I'm away. Got <laughs> 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 to own up to that. I know. I phone, I phone my wife and I say, "Oh, how's the horse? Everything all right? Yeah, horse all right? Yeah, it's a dog." And she says, "And I'm fine too." I, well, I know you're fine. I'm talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. And and it's Emma, isn't it? Your wife. She's a. Is she a vet, veterinary nurse? Nurse. Yeah, head nurse. Yeah, she's done that since she left school. So yeah, she she keeps everything. She keeps everything right with the dogs. I've got no credit for any of the healthcare, the, the diet, and all that. She does all of that, and uh, we're a good team. I think. Yeah, amazing. And then you've got your horses as well. And I know that you've bred, is it, oh, I can't remember the names of your horses, but is, well, didn't you breed him as a foal, your one? No, so we've got, so Sharma, which we, she was our old broodmare. So we bred Dil, Dilly Dilkara. So that's what my wife originally started doing endurance on. The other pony that Emma's kind of, we've had when we, when we met her as Piper, he's 23, 23 or something like that. There's Brago, our endurance Arab. And Teddy, my new guy, he's uh, Clydesdale Cross Cobb. It's just a dream, you know, it's just what I needed because we had, we bred Paddy, who we lost, I don't know, maybe four years ago, something like that. He was very sharp and a kind of very flashy, but it's not the horse I should have had. It's the horse we bred, so that's the horse I was riding, but I was always frightened of him. If he wanted you off, you'd come off. Then you'd come back and find it, what you're doing down there, but where it's a completely different ball game riding a horse that you really trust. I've forgotten really what it was like. Um, and Charlie, the other horse we bred, big horse, she's down in, um, where is it, sort of Oxford way. She's gone, she's doing Suriki, um polo horses, I think, breeding. We sold her for that. She just didn't like being ridden, so I don't, it wasn't any force of it. She was fine and indoors, didn't like being outside, really sharp. So it was just before there was an accident, you know, she's lovely on the ground and they wanted someone that would, do the um, sort of AI stuff, um, carry folds for working horses and things. So, you know, that's what the, the, the guy took her for. So, 
because huh? we've got space for four and that's it sort of thing so and do you find that you can ride quite a bit yeah I, I've kind of every day I'm off I ride unless it happens to be you know they, they get a days off but generally yeah I'm, 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 I'm if I'm working two two days a week I can I can ride any of the other days and I find now I find I used to find when I was frightened of the horse, I used to find any excuse not to ride. It's too windy, too wet. I've got to go here. I've got a meeting. I've got to do this. Where now I'm looking for any excuse to get on the horse and go for a ride, which is you're almost driving home thinking, yeah, if I get home, yeah, I've got time. I've got to go out for half an hour, you know, that kind of, which has been a massive, it's, it's back what I was when I first started riding horses, my first horse, which is great. Mental health wise, it's, it's amazing. It's, it's been great for me because I'm, I'm, I think anxiety is probably the right way to put it. I worry about everything in every possible scenario. You know, I could write a book on any little scenario pretty much. And it, and it was, so to, just to get out and ride makes a massive difference to me. How did you cope over the last sort of couple of years then? I'm guessing horses, you can't really lock horses down and you can't leave the, a period of time. So I'm guessing it was just business as usual, was it? Not quite. It was the first... I think it was the same as everybody else. With hindsight now, it probably should have been. But initially, when you try, you see the Prime Minister on television telling you you're not supposed to go out and work and all that sort of stuff, it was a bit like, well, that's never happened before. I remember sitting watching the Emma was on call, so she was at work on the evening. And I was watching her going, right, well, I'm supposed to be at work in the morning. I thought, well, there's one that was a laminitic, which had really bad feet, which was like, I said, well, I'm going to that. And I thought, and then if anybody asked me, well, that it needed doing, I couldn't leave it and I'll just do it at a distance. You know, everyone ties their horses up and well, I created these protocols, you know, what everybody else, similar to what other people did. You weren't in the stable with anybody who'd tie the horses up, you'd wash your hands before you go in, wash your hands when you come out. And the farriers, the farriers registration came out with a, their protocol, which was kind of red, amber, green. Will it go lame today if you don't go? Mm. Yes or no, and that was the kind of you know. Can it wait another week? You know that kind of stuff. So I, I did reduce the same as everybody else. I kind of went through the diary and did what was urgent. What I, I knew that if, I, if the balance changed a bit, some horses you have to you can leave alone. Some horses you need to help because of the confirmation or how they're moving. And so those horses I kept doing for the first sort of three or four weeks, and then actually realised you can't leave the others any longer. Then I said, well, if I leave any more, I'm going to get this block where I'm going to have to see. Everything's going to be due in, you know, everything's going to be urgent. So then I just started doing anything that sort of needed doing, but safely and cut it down, contact with anybody really that, you know, because I don't like doing horses when the owners aren't there. It's very, very rare I'll do it. So because I want to talk to them about how the horse is going and walk the horse up, see how that, you know, you don't just walk up, pick the feet up and trim it. You watch the horse walk up and move and see how it's landing because then you don't know if what you're doing is necessary or not. And you kind of get the feedback from the client as to how the horse has been going. So that was the big thing for me is to get people there to do the job properly without anything, without the service suffering really or what the horse was getting out of you. And then the second lockdown, I was kind of, I think we had that a bit more. That was pretty much business as usual, but with the same, be careful, don't go near anybody. And because if you leave it, if you, if you let them get too far out of sync, then you create a problem. Then you have to have a vet. You know, if something happens or they get, if they get, if, if something happens and they go lame, you've then got to have a vet there and you've got to have, so that's two people you've then got involved instead of just doing the horse when you did perfectly safely outside. I was kind of going to get some, a loaf of bread thinking, do you know what? I'm a damn safe safer trimming horses outside in, the, in a farm as walking through here. So I kind of just, 
and then when you actually read the rules, if you went through the second lot, if you can't work from home, go to work, is what it said, really. And I was like, well, the living room carpet's not going to take it. People are going to bring the horse in here. So I just kind of, the, the, the more the lockdowns went on, the bit more, the less I reacted to them, really. Because you're always being, being careful, washing your hands and the gels and keeping away from people. And um, and obviously, if anybody had any symptoms, you just basically, everyone got a message. Anyone has a symptom, tell me will rebook you when there's somebody else can hold your horse, something like that. Um, and everyone was really respectful of that, to be honest. It didn't happen as often as I thought it would. It was maybe once a month or so, you'd be, you know, traveling, you get a text, oh, I've just tested, you know, I've tested. It was more when the testing came out. The first one, we didn't, people weren't really testing, or they didn't have those lateral flow tests and things. So it was, I've got a bit of a sore throat. Right, right I'll see you next week. <laughs> I'm not going, you know, it might be, it might not be, but I don't want it, so. Yeah. Oh dear. So just general, general um, common sense and and I guess respect for for other people, which yeah, and you know you can't with when it comes to animals, you can't stop, can you? You can't not, you know, go and look after them. No, uh, no, but I mean, yeah, there's, there's no. I, I really felt for people who were live, you know, livery yard owners had to limit when they could go, or some horses were just turned away. You know, the initial one when everyone was like, "Oh, we don't know what we can do." Because really there wasn't that much. It was the kind of told you what to do without really telling you what to do. So people had to make their own decisions. And you know, some some yards where, where people, you know, they were they got the wash, they had hand washing stations when they weren't in or other ones had times when they could go up to stagger this. So they're being told what time they could see the horses and things and all of that. You know, it's, when you used to be able to go and see your horse whenever you want and your horse has got a routine, then that must have been really hard for people who when I was looking up when looking up here, there's just us. So you know that the the horses' routines didn't really change. Apart from the probably sold a bit more because I had a bit of time off at the start, and we were all trying to work navigate our way through as to what we really couldn't couldn't do. But yeah, no, I think. Yeah. Oh well. It, yes, it was a very strange couple of years, wasn't it? Is your business just same old, same old, or have you got plans for more things? Do you take? I don't. I don't know. Do you go on sort of like training courses quite yeah, a bit? So C CPD and stuff, yeah, you've got to kind of. It's 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 important. It's it's been less so over the COVID thing because a lot of the stuff, the Zoom stuff, so you kind of Zoom stuff. You, you you do some of the online lectures and stuff. But I used to, which is it's coming back on now. So I joined um, Beaver, the British Equestrian Veterinary Association, as an associate member. So with access to their CPD, so the regional meetings and stuff, you use that as a networking thing for you know meeting other people as well but yeah they they would do sort of monthly meetings so i'll go to all of those and then there's other there's a lot more gone online now since since covid so there's, there's probably more availability of stuff if people are doing stuff online when you think i wouldn't travel that far for that normally but i, I don't think you can get away from the benefit of face-to-face because you're sitting there with peers and people who do what you do as well they're all and that whole chatter is different when you're sat in a room to sat on a screen you don't get that. People are a lot more guarded. People don't really chat when you're watching an online lecture. It's not really a thing to do. But when you're in a room, you've seen the lecture, you have coffee breakouts and, you know, that's, you learn stuff from people. Then, oh, you tried that? Are you doing this? Or I've seen this horse that does that. You know, everybody talks. And, yeah, so I think that's quite important, particularly when you work on your own. It's a really good, it's a really good discipline to, to go to what. And, I mean, it's not cheap. The good stuff isn't cheap, but, it shouldn't be because there's a lot of time and effort gone in by the presenters to get you know good information to you 
Yeah, definitely. So I tend to see that as an investment rather than... Yeah. Yeah, but I've definitely done less since COVID and that's kind of on my radar as it's starting to come on just to try and push myself to... Because you just do the same old, same old and and you've got to... You get out of the habit of looking at the list where we used to go for, you know, there's certain things advertised in certain places and you get out of the habit of checking. So yeah, I'm definitely going to... I'm hoping that's going to ramp back up where people now are pretty much back in rooms together and being encouraged to meet again rather than do it remotely i mean the remote stuff's been great to keep us going i just you know i've done i don't know maybe three or four over the year or so but stuff really interests you but i I don't get i think i'm more of a people person in the room i don't i i I do i'm really bad i think at watching stuff on a on a screen i tend to zone out a little bit and i don't realize i'm doing it till i thought what was you know yeah and no the benefit of the webinar is you can go back and work out what it was but it's not the same i prefer to go and sit somewhere in a room and be talk you know because then you can you're more able to ask questions and, and stuff like that and you you know you can talk to the presenters afterwards about stuff and you can't really do much of that online so hopefully it all comes back to the face-to-face stuff yeah yeah, it is. I mean, I do a lot of my stuff online now. I've just had done my first face-to-face uh, beginning of um, July, actually, which was really, really nice. I- I'd forgotten how lovely it was, actually. But the convenience of doing things on Zoom, um, you know, I run my workshops and everything on Zoom, and it just, I don't have to go and set up somewhere. I don't have to have the additional costs of booking somewhere. And it means that I can have you know, quite a lot of people who want to join me on a workshop, they can join me because I've got, you know, the capacity. So it is, yeah, it, it is good, but it's lovely to meet people face to face. Yeah. Do you feel it? Do you notice a difference in the dynamic when you're teaching online to teaching? Do you enjoy it more or are you more online? Or? Well, you've got the opportunity to be able to mute people. <laughs> And I don't, <laughs> so I don't, I don't, if somebody's in full, full, full speech, I'm not going to mute somebody, obviously, when they're talking. But, you know, if somebody's, um, if somebody's having a bit of a chit chat when you're working, you know, when you're doing something face to face and someone's having a little bit of a, a chat with their neighbor, you know, if you've got a room full of people, you know, you wouldn't sort of do anything about that it, it, as long as it's not disrupting. But on Zoom, if somebody's having, you know, there's a bit of something going on in the background and they've forgotten to turn the microphone off. I've got the opportunity to be able to kind of go around or mute them, mute them, you know. I mean, I have had in workshops before, I have had oh gosh a couple of years ago you know you get some disruptive people who I mean I don't think they realize that they're being disruptive but when you're trying to talk to a group of people I had one person who was just she was trying to find all of her pencils but she it was just like rummaging around in this box and it was so noisy and and I ended up just stopping I was and I just said oh I'll just wait for so-and-so to finish picking her pencils and then we'll get going you know let me know when you and I wasn't rude or anything but you know I, I took a course on on running workshops and you have all of these different personalities that come to workshops and you've yeah. got to know how to and the best thing is to walk around the room and if somebody's being a bit disruptive and a bit chatty you just go and stand next to them and then they right. shut up, <laughs> right. you know. But like you said, on Zoom, you don't get the people chatting to each other because they they don't. They're just all sat on the separate little screens. Yeah, you know. But it's about if somebody gets if somebody does get a little bit chatty and it's been going on for quite a long time, it's about being able to step in when they take a breath. Yeah, 
and then you go, thank you so much. And then you just put them on mute quickly. And it's not about being rude to that person and not giving them airtime. It's about, you know, we've, we've kind of got a set period of time here and we've got to, you know, crack on. Okay. Then there's something about Margaret Thatcher used to be able to breathe in the wrong place in a sentence so people couldn't interrupt her. She was quite, there was something, there was definitely, she had some skill where she could breathe in the wrong place so that the gap wasn't big enough for people to interrupt her. Oh, that's a good skill to have. I might have to learn that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's very interesting, very interesting. Um, you know, and, and and I love people and I love working with people and I love seeing people. So do you teach people then to do what you do or not really? I do sort of talk, sort of riding club, uh, doing the circuit endurance AGMs and things like that, where you go, I, I don't teach, my, my talks aren't about you shouldn't put shoes on your horse. My talks are about this is how your horse should move. And then from that, people can decide, you know, it, it's kind of then somebody, everybody in the room can get something out of it. I, I do teach people to do their own, to manage their own horses at, at, at the speed that I, I, I'm comfortable that they're, they're okay doing it. Some people will talk about it for a year or so first, and some people live with the third or fourth time you've seen the horse, you can kind of say, you know, people have different skill sets, and you kind of, I, I, personally, I just think when people have the empowerment just to just, you know, just take chips off, I do stuff like that, it gives them, it, it, they're looking after the horse, and their attention to detail steps, you know, if I'm asking them to pick their foot every day and check it and looking at thrushing the frog and all that sort of stuff, the more they do, the more confidence they get, the more you can sort of give them to do, which improves their horse. And obviously the better the horse is going, the better it is for everybody. And the more attention to detail they can give, because it's kind of, it's, it's only obvious when you know, uh, you know, if someone tells you it becomes obvious and then you can take that, once that's easy, you can take them to the next level. Yeah, I've got my dogs on the other side, or I'll be getting absolutely mugged. <laughs> <laughs> I've got um, I've got Nelly here at the minute. She's um, oh, she's I think she's having a phantom pregnancy. To be honest, she does this every sort of so often, and she gets a bit clingy. And I have to take any kind of toy or ball or anything off her because she just goes mad. We got gosh, there was I think it was not this Christmas, but the last Christmas she was given a squeaky chicken by the dog walker, <laughs> just a squeaky chicken. And she just went into full blown phantom pregnancy mode. Oh my goodness, honestly. It was awful, wasn't it? We had to, I threw it in the field. It's in the field still, I think, just to throw it away. And uh, anything that squeaks, I have to poke a, a biro into the squeaker so that it stops squeaking because. Right. It, oh. uh, yeah. <laughs> no, but yeah, the, the teaching thing, I often, yeah, I, I kind of. I, I really enjoy doing the, the talks, the writing, you know, the stuff because it's, you know, people see the videos of you take people through or a horse should move enough and that really helps them with their own horses because they can see, you want people to see, you know, a horse doesn't just, very rarely is just lame from one day to the next. There's normally a slight build-up and if the earlier you catch it, the quicker you can, the easier it is to do something about it. So teaching people what to look for and, how the foot should land. It's not complicated. You need to land with the heel first and both sides of the foot together. If it's not, you need to work out why. And the bottom of the foot is the last, is the only thing that touches the ground. So it's usually something above and it's working out, is it a physio issue? Is it a confirmation issue? What is it? And that's the, and try to put, you know, you, you've got like half an hour after this, you know, 45 minutes to chat to people, giving somebody just enough that they can, take that away you know and then you'll always get someone literally the next day you'll get 15 or 20 videos off people's phones i, I saw you talk i said can you just have a quick look at this 
I, I think I've seen this. I think I've seen that. The, the fact that I've gone away and walked the horse up and done it. And, you know, I always encourage people to video the horses when they're sound. Because then you you can look at if there's something, if you think this doesn't feel quite right, then you know what they look like from a video and get someone to walk it up again when they're late, you know, and look for differences. And that gives you a good place to start as well. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so I probably only do about three a year, something like that. But, you know, you get a room full of really different personalities and it's the first couple you sort of, you know, you worry, I guess it's presenting, it, it becomes something, the more you know about something, the easier it's presents. So now I've done it so long, there's very few questions that I haven't had before or questions that, you know, people want to talk about their own horse, but you can kind of delve into that and manage that city. Because what you can't do is allow it to derail the whole presentation, but you kind of, you get a lot more out of it when people become interactive. People, you know, have to realize it's not just showing the picture on the screen. And I really enjoy that kind of on the spot. Well, it does this, this and this. What do you think? Well, then you can say, well, think about this, try that, have a chat with your farrier, your trimmer about this or, the, or that. That that's it's quite an interesting because you, you know you, sometimes you get people who go to the presentation just to say that all horses should be shod because theirs is then you let them have their say and then sort of carry on and yeah I mean I have had one in the presentation where I, I, can't, I in my head I work on three strikes I'm really sort of questions I prefer at the end or at the end of a slide because it you're kind of probably going to te- I, I I do it in a methodical way so you're taking people down a route so you can explain something because if you give it all in one go it's really complicated and you give them little bits till the end of the slide it's pretty easy to understand because it's common sense you know nature is inherently common sense so it's easier to understand if you if you pick it apart I did have one where I think I gave a three where I said, we'll talk my horse basically I said the frog she touched the ground and she said well and then she said my horse can't go without shoes said, well that's okay and carried on talking and then she says when it loses the shoe it's really sore does that mean my farrier's rubbish I was like no it probably means it's really good because he's trying to get the frog to touch the ground at the same time as the shoe so it's loading the foot the same way so by doing that the foot has to be a bit shorter because the shoe has a depth oh well I don't think the frog should touch the ground Okay, well, it, should, it definitely should because that's the whole part of how the biomechanics work of a horse. It absolutely should. Um, and she went off again. And then there was actually a bet in the audience who said, well, yes, they should. And then I thought I'd move to the next slide. And then it, it came up again. So I thought, well, I've got to deal with it now because the whole presentation is getting railroaded. So I, I basically said, okay, can we have a quick chat about it? Right. The horses don't like flies. They're, they're attracted you know, the, the droppings and stuff, so they've got a tail over the droppings, so that, that nature's made a tail long enough that they can flick the rest of the body as well to get the flies off. I says, nature's got that right. Um, I says, your horse, horses inherently hate water in their ears. Some horses just detest water in their ears. I says, the last thing, if you walk a horse into a river, the last thing that's going to go into water is their ears. They're right on top of their head. I says, the way that the vision works, I says, their ears fill the blanks in. I says, you imagine a horse that's galloping, its lungs can't fill enough air or move up with the amount they need so the whole sort of the uh the, the intestine moves up and down it actually you know it works to pump as well inside and helps the, the lungs open and expel the air i says nature got all that right but it puts something on the only part of the horse that touches the ground that shouldn't touch the ground and that was just absolute science never another word because you can't argue with that it wouldn't grow there if it wasn't supposed to touch the ground and it's that kind of once you get people in that mindset where it's absolute common sense, then it becomes, you know, I don't, if people want to put shoes on the horses, absolutely fine, as long as they know why they're doing it. 
some people get a that's why I really struggle with Facebook. I don't have a Facebook business page or anything because you, you, you see people, my big bugbears, people offering advice from photographs. I don't know if it's an ego thing or what, but someone will put a picture of the horse's feet on and they'll say, what do you think of these? And you'll get, a, you know, 50 people jumping on with 50 different trim ideas or you should do this, that and the other. And it's like, speak to the person who trimmed your horse and ask them why they're doing it the way they're doing it because they've had the hands on the horse. And that's, I, I just completely, it, maybe I'm a bit, I was, yeah, maybe I'm just too old for Facebook pages. I think <laughs> I just really struggle with people. It, it's this, it, it seems to be this, people have to be right on the show. They know what they're doing. So they have to write all these strangers. And you look at them, some of the pages, you'll see the same names come up often advice. It's like, well, they can't be very busy if they're in the house answering every Facebook page. So. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah. yeah, it's funny, isn't it? I mean, I I use Facebook, uh, you know, an, an awful lot. And one of the things that I so you get an awful lot of artists who are like me who teach mm-hmm. and who do tutorials and everything. And one of the things that I get, get a little bit concerned about is when somebody posts into my group and says, "I've been doing this picture from this artist. Can somebody help me with it?" Um, and I'm like go back to the artist who was teaching you and ask them for help because you know everybody's got different techniques it might be the same medium but everybody's got different techniques and different ways of doing it and if if they're teaching you their way you don't want me wading in and going oh well that's you know you need to do this and you need to do that and I just think that's respect out of respect for the other artists and teachers you know go back to them ask them for help don't go asking in a public group for help from all sorts of other artists when that artist isn't in that group. Um, mm-hmm. you know, just I, I wouldn't want somebody to do that with my work, you know. So I, I guess in a in it's sort of like a similar vein, really. But um, yeah, and you you do find, I guess you find people who are they they're almost like experts, aren't they? But they're really not. Yeah, well, that yeah, I mean it's easy to, you know, you look at the picture and there's a load of stuff you can see. But you don't know how that horse is moving. So when I talk, you know, you could have a massive sort of flare or well, being technical, more foot on one side of the foot than the other. Like on the outside, the inside of the foot has more or less foot rather than it being symmetrical. And people will say, oh, that needs to come off. And it's like, well, find out why it's there first. And you can't possibly see that from a photograph. You can maybe see it from a video of the horse moving to a point. But you really need to put your hands on the horse and feel the joint, where, what angle of the joints are, how, how, what's the articulation of the joints and things like that. And you can't possibly do that from a photograph. You can't. And you're kind of, what, what people don't understand, you know, when, when they do this, you risk it. This is a horse that may well still be sound and it's sound because it's got that flare. You take that off, you'll find out why the flare's there. I'd yeah. rather not find out. You know, if you, you take it off, that horse will, if that horse goes lame, you'll find out why it was there in the first place. It's like, I'd rather just, if it's there, you kind of find out why it's there by keep, while it's sound, you know, get a physio, look at stuff. And then surprisingly, when you remove the issue, they go back to normal themselves mm-hmm. or they stay the way they are. Either way, you, you, if someone looking at a photograph can't possibly tell you that. And yet you get these evangelical you know, you must do this, you must do that, and chop this off, all that's horrendous, cut the bars out. Cut. Well, it's all structure. Anything you take away can only weaken the foot. Anything you rasp off the wall can only make it less thick because you're rasping something off. Anything that's less thick is less strong, so it could actually potentially deviate more. So you need to know exactly why, whether you're taking a leverage off 
or not, or why that leverage is there. And you can't do that. That's my, if I could ban one thing in life, if you gave me a little book of things, like a room one or one thing, I'd put in people, people giving trim advice from photographs. That's like the one, you'll guarantee to get me bouncing off the walls. It's the same if I go and ask to do a second opinion stuff. You don't, you try and get, you know, if somebody else to trim on the fire, is there, you know, you go and you, you, you're trying to just be another set of eyes. It's not an ego thing. You're not turning up and saying they're doing this wrong. It's trying to say, have you tried this or that? Why, you know, it's just, I can see this. Have you, what do you think of that? And trying to give a second set, you know, where, you know, if you do that with the people that are working on it, that's a team thing then, rather than just someone trying to be clever. Oh, I've seen this photograph. And sometimes you look at the more experience you've got, the more you can you can look at stuff and think, oh, that looks a bit, I'd like to know, I'd like to see that horse is probably what I think rather than, all oh, I want them to take, I, I need to time to trim that off. I trim that off. I'm more like, I'd love to see how that horse is moving to see why that's there. But yeah, so if, 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 if you get any sort of leeway in Facebook, you know, you being an expert on, uh, <laughs> if you could tell the band people can give them trim advice, that would be great. Oh dear, I don't know. Horse, horsey people. Well, I always thought horsey people were 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 funny, but I think every single whatever you're in, you get some, some funny people. But um, amazing, and I just want to touch on the because um, I know all of your fans will be listening anyway. But I want, just want to touch on the cake side right. of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> you got, do you? Do, I mean, I know people give you cake when you come and do the horses. The cake is kind of you know what they have to give you but have you got any favorite cake kind of cake coffee and walnut or chocolate that's the uh that's the go-to's that all started from, that actually started from facebook you know someone put a someone gave me a cake or some muff i can't remember what it was a cake or some and then i put a picture on when i was working says oh thanks i got that and someone says oh i better make you one i says you're probably better i'll do a cake and we'll do, we'll do a cake tasting competition and then literally everyone's saying it's mine so then I stopped putting any judgment on. I just basically got one at every yard I went to. It was great. And it's stuck over the years. And then when the guys that I helped with the laminitis app stuff, he was good enough to do my website as well. Um, we did a website. So they'd been through the face. He says, oh, there's a load of pictures of cake on your Facebook. Because basically when people say thanks, back in the day, people oh, thanks, I've got my horse back or something. He says, well, we need some test. I said, well, go through my Facebook because that's where the people, you know, put the picture on of the horse being ridden or jumping or, or doing something initially so he said there's an awful lot of picture of cakes on here so they actually created a page on the website for the cakes which is <laughs> it kind of made me realize how many i eat <laughs> oh god but you keep fit anyway all of the i'm guessing do you not we're gonna stop in a second but do you not get a, a bad back from all of the bending down no it's i'm, I'm touch wood i'm really lucky i get more i get a sore back sitting driving and I never, ever had a back problem at all until I walked up our path one night in front of the house. Walk it as I've done every year. Basically, the, the, the garden's either side of the path. It comes, you don't drive up, you, you walk the front of the house and it turns right or left in front of the house, in front of the kitchen window. And there's a concrete path and I stepped off the edge and my foot went down three inches more than it was supposed to. And for months, I had a sore back from that. But literally, I, you know, I could have six horses sitting on me and it doesn't seem to make any difference because that, I think the lucky thing is with me trimming is I can put the foot down. You know, the guys that are knocking nails into the horse's feet, you know, they're really, you know they, they've got to be careful. A, they don't want a nail catching them, but they also don't want to catch the horse. So if you started, they've kind of almost got to try and finish, I guess. So I think they're at a slightly higher risk than, than me because I can just put the foot down. 
plus I'm not probably doing anything where the horse is really getting that much pressure on it. It's not seeing smoke. It's not seeing, it's not having something banged. It's quite gentle what I do. So really some horses lean on you. Yes. And you, you know, you felt it in your legs and stuff. It's, it's literally keep your knees bent and, and don't try and hold the horse up. If it, if it needs to go, it needs to go. And then just sort of, you do a bit of groundwork or something and teach them to say, you know, eventually they just start. If there's no pressure, they tend to just stand. It's when you fight with them that they, you, you're never going to beat a 650, 700 kilo animal that wants to leave. It'll just leave. And if you're attached to it, it's going to hurt. So, yeah, no, I've been really lucky. Yeah. Touching a lot of wood now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then just finally, before we go, um, I think everybody probably on your Facebook knows when it's about to snow up in Northumberland because, because of your knees. Yeah. I've got one knee that hurts. I, I don't know if it's barometric or something, but yeah, it definitely, it's usually, but I have to say that the huge, the most snow we've ever had, it completely failed. But I'm told that was because it was a different type of snow. It was a different type of weather that made the snow. But usually I get a burn in my knee when I'm walking the dogs, like two or three days before, or the day before it's going to snow. And usually it works. But the great, that huge one when we had drifts literally outside the house, where we were walking on top of the hedge. I'll find a photograph and say we were literally on the top of the hedge, the six foot hedges outside the house. We were walking on top of the hedges on the snow drifts. It had not, it didn't even flacker. <laughs> I didn't know it. I woke up what I woke up the next morning, it was that. I thought, well, it's either me weather forecasting these broken or but uh, apparently it's a different type of snow, different type of pressure. But that's what it that's my excuse anyway. <laughs> Brilliant. Oh gosh. Oh well, it's been really, really lovely <laughs> catching up. Yeah, we're going to do this over lunch, though, aren't we? Or tea one night or something like that, eh? Oh, it would be, yeah, definitely really nice to catch up properly. Brilliant. Definitely. Well, thank you so much, Steve. Um, And, um, yes, really, really nice to catch up. And, yeah, we'll catch up in person very soon. Okay, doke. See you soon. Thank you. Bye. I really hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of my It's a Bonnie Old Life podcast. If you did, I'd be so grateful to you for emailing me or texting a link to the show or sharing it on social media with those you know who might like it too. My mission with this podcast is all about sharing mine and my community's experience and hope by telling your fascinating personal stories, championing the other amazing humans in my personal, professional and membership community and to create another channel through which I can support you to realise your coloured pencil and life dreams. If you haven't done so yet, please help me on my mission to spread positivity and joy throughout the coloured pencil world by following me on my socials at Bonnie Snowden Academy or by getting on my list at bonniesnowdenacademy.com. And remember, I truly believe if I can live the life of my dreams doing what I love, then you can too. We just need to keep championing and supporting each other along the way in order to make it happen. Till next time.